Well, we're going to continue our studies this morning in the letter of Paul to the Colossians. Please turn to chapter 2. My subject this morning is walking in Christ. We read here in verse 6 of chapter 2, Colossians 2, chapter six, uh, verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Well, we reach in chapter 2, really the heart of this letter. What's Paul's purpose as he writes to this young church at Colossae? What's he really getting at? And the subject comes alive in chapter 2, having laid the foundations. He is concerned that this church, the church at Colossae, and no doubt at Laodicea and Hierapolis, in the Lycus Valley, a hundred miles east of Ephesus, that there is a great danger. It's a danger that they may be losing their first love. Their love was to Christ. Christ was the one that they received. Christ was the one that saved them from idols and from the things of the world but they may be losing their first love and drawn into what we call heresy. What's heresy? Any teaching which is at odds and deviance to the word of God, particularly where it undermines the way of salvation and the supreme preeminent position that the Lord Jesus Christ has as the only saviour, losing their first love. They're going into angel worship. They're keeping rituals when all the shadows and the types have been done away with when Christ came. And they're listening to new philosophies. And instead of following only the gospel which has been once declared unto them. Well, we might ask the question as we start. What authority does Paul have to teach a church that he's never been to? He's met Epaphras and maybe one or two others, but what authority, Paul, do you have? What authority does Paul have over us and over a church that he's never been to? Well, his authority is set out in the first verse of the first chapter. Paul, an apostle, one who is sent by the will of God. He's mentioned his authority in chapter 1. He is a minister, verse 23 and verse 25. I've been sent, appointed. I have authority over you as a church. You don't have the whole of the word of God yet, church at Colossae, and so I'm giving you God's will. I'm an apostle that has been sent. And just by way of recap, we look at chapter 1 and verse 28. How does Paul go about his ministry? How should I, as a pastor of this church, go about the work of a minister? I'm not an apostle, Paul was, but I am a minister, one sent. And so we look at Paul's example, three words, sum up. This is a test of a true pastor. This is what we should be doing. Verse 28, whom we preach.
preach. And speaking of Christ, his whole theme in chapter 1 has been that Christ is preeminent above all, before all, and Christ is all-sufficient, whom we preach. That means to openly declare Christ. Well, you need to ask that. Is that something that happens in this church? If we have visitors here this morning, is that something that happens in your church? That's a true minister, as defined by Paul. Whom we preach. Do we preach Christ as all-sufficient and as preeminent? But secondly, he says, we warn. And that's not something that we hear about much today. Warning? Oh no, that would be a bit negative, wouldn't it? To warn people? Warning them of danger, warning them of heresy, warning them of falling. No, Paul says we not just preach Christ, we're to warn, we're to give counsel, we're to identify the problems in life and in churches and we're to put our finger on them and we're to say to people, be very careful. You could fall into this error, into that problem. That's what a pastor should do. Preach and warn. And then there's one more word, teach. These are different aspects of the ministry that Paul has been sent to accomplish. We're also to teach. That means to give application, to say, what does that mean for my life, for your life? What does the word of God mean today for our lives? So Paul is a preacher. He's somebody that warns and he's somebody that teaches. That's a real test, isn't it? I find that very challenging for me. Do I warn? Do I teach as well as preach? Sometimes churches, they only have comforting words, encouraging words. That's good. But this verse says that there should be a triangle, three different forms of ministry, declaring, warning and teaching with application what these things mean. Paul is a steward. He's been given the word of God. It's his will, God's will, that he should go and preach and teach. What's his objective? Verse 28 that every single person that he teaches and that he warns and preaches to will be presented perfect. Oh, that's, that's a high calling, isn't it? Look at us here this morning. Maybe a hundred plus here and listening in. My task is to present you perfect. Oh, I can't do that. I need the Lord's help, but I have his word, I have the Holy Spirit, and you're only ever going to be presented perfect in Christ Jesus. He's the one that takes our dark lives and brings light. He's the one that takes our deviant lives and straightens them out. And so Paul has a desire that every soul that he is preaching to, 
one day, once they've been saved, they will then be sanctified, made clean, made right with God. And one day they will be given glorified bodies that no longer have a desire to sin. Not until Christ comes again will we be presented perfect in Christ Jesus. Well, this morning, as we come to chapter 2, what is Paul's great concern? What's his worry? Sometimes parents worry. I'm sure we've all got worries here this morning. For children, for grandparents, parents. What are you worried about this morning? Let's look at Paul's worries, his anxieties. Verse 29, really the chapter division between chapter 1 and chapter 2, it really flows in to itself. Whereunto I also labour. He's got an objective, he's got a concern, striving according to his working which worketh in me mightily. You see, I'm just a man says Paul, but God is working within me and I have to deal with the problems here at this church, this church at Colossae. Verse 1 of chapter 2, we come to the real point of the whole letter. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you. Paul has got a problem. He has a great concern. There's a battle going on within his life. He's very worried that these dear young Colossi believers are going to be drawn into a terrible mistake. They're going to add to Christ or take away from Christ, dilute the gospel. They're going to slip into a ditch and cause themselves great harm. He describes it as a conflict. Elsewhere, Paul says these words. He has fears within and fightings without. That was the church at Macedonia. He has these people on his heart. But Paul, you've never really met them. You've never been there. But no, he has a responsibility for them. He desires that they will be presented perfect in Christ Jesus. Well, here is the first lesson this morning. He says he has a concern for them and for the church at Laodicea, for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Oh, what a great desire he has for them, this battle that's going on within him. He has them in his prayers. Do you know, if you don't care for people, you won't pray for them. That's true, isn't it? We only pray for those that we really care for. <coughs> Paul cares for the church at Colossae. He's anxious for them, for their good, for their well-being. He's concerned for them. This battle, it's not for him, it's for them. And so, no doubt, he turns to prayer. He wants, in verse 2 it says, that they would be comforted, encouraged. He wants them to be built up and to be knit together. Paul's great concern 
Don't fall. Don't be drawn into all sorts of problems and errors. Now I'm going to give you some in the modern day a bit later. For them, we know what it was, angel worship, rituals, ceremonies, philosophy. It's slightly different for us today. But he's so concerned and he knows that if there's problems at Colossae, inevitably they will spread to the two other churches. He mentions Laodicea, but Hierapolis is no doubt in his mind as well. What happens in churches? Sometimes people come in, they've got new ideas. They come in and say, we should do this, or we should do that. We should put an emphasis on a different matter. We should worship in a different way. Perhaps we should change our meetings, make the sermon shorter so that people don't have to listen so long. Maybe we should dispense with the prayer meeting. These are all things that could happen. And Paul says, no, we shouldn't be men-pleasers. We should be God-pleasers. We follow the ways, the methods that have been handed down to us and have stood the church over time. We should not resist the truth. We should ignore those people that come in and do great evil, he says elsewhere. His concern for the church is active. <coughs> He's anxious and he labours. He doesn't just have a theoretical concern, send off a nice letter. No, he wants them to be fully grounded. And so he's concerned for them. Well, that's the first point this morning. But his objective is not aimless. Look here in verse 2. He desires that their hearts might be comforted. If problems are to be avoided, if there isn't to be a falling away in heresy, what's the solution? What's going to make the church at Colossae strong and secure and protected? Well, it's very simply in those four words. Knit together in love. It literally means these disparate groups of people, some were Jews, some were from a Greek-speaking background at Colossae. They've come together. We might call them a motley crew, a bit like us today. I don't know how many nationalities we have here and backgrounds. But Paul's desire is that we would be knit together in love, literally compacted, squeezed together by a desire for each other. What are the needs in other people's lives? Am I more concerned for the person sat next to me this morning than I am for myself? that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. This might sound a bit strange. This isn't the answer to counter-heresy, is it? Well, Paul says it is. If the church is together, in love, compacted, knit, there will be a great strength and security. What does it mean to be knit together? Paul calls it the bond of perfectness. Just imagine if there was a lack of love 
in this church. And people said, I won't sit next to that person because I don't really get on with them. Or, I don't like the way that person brings up their children, so I won't talk to them, I won't be with them. There is a problem between us. Oh, and then that person has a different idea and division starts because there's a distance between the believers. That's the very opposite of what Paul has got in mind. He says we need to be knit together in love, to be of one heart, one mind, to understand each other, to see the problems that we have. Some people have this issue, that issue, this background, that background, challenges of loved ones in other countries that we don't know about. We need to be knit together in love. If you don't know about somebody, how can you care for them? How can you pray for them? How can we be united together as a church? It means to desire a fuller fellowship. Do you know there is a danger in the Christian life of isolation? We can do things our own way. I'm, I'm a loner. I like to do it my way. I don't like to share too much with other people, we could say. I like to do things my way. I won't be taught. I'm like the shopping trolley that we thought of earlier. I have my own will. But Paul says here in verse 2, No, you are to be knit together in love. That's the security that we need. He says that there is a protection by being close. We'll then be able to have what some has called a union of judgment. We'll spot the problem. Notice the error. And it won't come into the church at Colossae or here because in the counsel of many, there will be wisdom. We'll be able to spot the problem, see those in need, and we'll be kept safe. Love, the sort of love here, excludes the person that's all for them. Vain glory and strife, Paul calls it elsewhere. And you know when we have that sort of love and we're knit together look what it says in the middle of the verse unto all riches what joy what blessing what spiritual riches there will be when a church is so compact so knit together we will enjoy full assurance of understanding oh we'll see through problems we won't be led astray, we won't fall, we'll help one another, we'll spot the error before it comes into the church. He says at the end of this verse that we will be given full assurance and understanding of the mystery of God. Now we thought last week of that term, the mystery, it's mentioned three times in three different ways. There is the mystery of the body of Christ, the church, chapter 1 and verse 24 to 26. There is the mystery of Christ living within us, 
the indwelling Christ, how can that be? That is mysterious that God in the person of Christ can live within every believer's life. That's a remarkable mystery. But what's referred to here is the revealed Christ. And we have this wonderful verse, verse 3. In whom, in Christ, are hid. This is the mystery. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. One of those verses that proves that Christ is fully divine and he was fully human. Christ has stored up. The word hid there is a bit unhelpful. doesn't mean you can't find it. It means stored up like a treasure trove of all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Whose wisdom? Whose knowledge? God the Father stores up in the Lord Jesus Christ all wisdom, all knowledge. Let's see how this all fits together. There's a problem, heresy. Paul is concerned it might come into the church. Colossians, you need to be knit together in love. If you have the right sort of love for one another, you will have the wisdom and the knowledge of God because Christ, in a mystery, will dwell within your lives and within the church. And that wisdom will be available for you when you pray for it and ask for his help. So we've thought of Paul's great concern. Paul's objective is that they should be knit together. And then we come on to some of his exhortations, his instructions for us. Before we do that, let's ask ourselves the question. Do we have the sort of love that Paul has in mind? A church can just be a place to go to worship. Or we go there once a week for an hour, Sunday morning only. We've done our bit. We've obeyed God who says that we should worship. But nothing else. Do you know there won't be much love in a church between you and the people in the church? If it's one hour a week on a Sunday morning, how can you know people? How can you identify with them? How can you pray for them? No, that's not what Paul has got in mind. In those days, they met almost every day. They needed to. To help them through each day, they would have prayer meetings almost every day in the early church. We don't do that today. That's what Paul has in mind. That sort of compact knitting together of every believer. If we have that sort of mindset, then we will have the love that Paul has in mind. The dependence, the care for one another. Now let's look at our final subject in these verses 3 to 7. There's so much here for us. Paul says then, Okay, how are you to behave? What sort of conduct and priorities are you to have? He's going to give them some clear directives for them to follow 
But before he does that, as Paul often does, he encourages them and he admires them. Notice two things in verse 5. He says, I look and behold. Well, he didn't literally look because he hadn't been there. But he's heard from Epaphras, the pastor, their order. That's a lovely term. Do you see that in the church of Jesus Christ? Order? It's a military word. It means everything is done in a thought-through way. There is careful order so that God can be worshipped and the gospel can be preached and nothing gets in the way, no distraction whatsoever. He says he joys and beholds their good order. Oh, that's a high calling for us as a church. Are we ordered? Some churches, you can see them online or you might have visited some. There's no order at all. It's random. It seems like a random generator each time they get together. Everything's just random. Paul says, no, I behold your order. I admire the way you organise yourselves. That's very pleasing. That's very good to see. And he also has a second compliment. And the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. That's a second military term. He says, you're like an army under attack and you're holding your formation. You can imagine in those days, if the shields were not held up, they would each individually be very vulnerable. But if they kept the formation, the steadfast formation of their faith in Christ, worship, prayer, daily devotion, then they will be strong. And he says, I admire that about you, your steadfastness. Because of those things, you will not, verse 4, be so easily beguiled, taken in by heresy, by false teaching, false practices, with enticing words. We'll explain what we mean by that. So Paul has got two compliments, two encouragements. He likes their order, their discipline, and he likes their steadfastness, their formation in military terms. Well, let's bring this right bang up to date. What sort of things could we be drawn astray by? as Christians and as a church. You can take your pick in this day and age. There's all sorts of problems that come into churches and into believers' lives. There was one that started in America probably about a hundred years ago. We call it today easy believism. Just sign here. Just put your hand up. I talked to a man on the bookstall yesterday He'd been into another church in the town and the very first day he walked in, they baptised him. I said to him, have you truly repented of your sin? He says, no, not really. I'm struggling with drink. I'm struggling with this, 
struggling with that. There was no evidence of a changed life. And this church, a Baptist church in this town, said, Oh yes, if you'd like to be baptised, we can baptise you. Easy believism. That's not the gospel of the word of God. It says repent. Turn from your sin. Leave your old life behind. We today, we have to check. We have to check whether a person has got fruits in their life. And evidence, we don't do it quickly. We want to try to discern. But of course, there's the opposite problem. Some people teach that to say you have assurance that you know Christ, that you're saved, that Christ is in you, oh, that's super spiritual. There's a form of pietism that says, anyone that says I have assurance that I am a Christian, you are Oh, you're acting beyond and above. Well, that's equally a problem. How about worldliness? A problem that was not so common in the churches in those days. Because to be a Christian meant you would put your life on the line. You would be in danger of death and persecution. We don't have that physically today. And so we are very vulnerable to living a double life, a foot in the world and a foot in the church, serving two masters, material things, physical things and spiritual things. You'll never enjoy the Christian life unless your heart is all for Christ, all for him, and you take your true pleasures and joy and satisfaction from Christ and Christ alone. What about worship? Could that ruin and pollute the church? What happens if people come in and say, well, you need the form of worship where people feel a bit more comfortable and they feel a bit more relaxed and they can move themselves around and do this, that and the other what we call entertainment worship. Could that be something we're vulnerable to? Oh yes, definitely. That happens in so many churches. And before you know, there's no difference between what will happen in the nightclub along the road and what happens in the church. You couldn't distinguish the two. What about somebody that says... You don't need that part of the Bible. You don't have to believe in all the Bible. You can pick and choose. You can have Christ minus or Christ plus. You can have a different form of Christianity. If that's not appealing to the day and age that we live in today, you can have a Christianity that blesses same-sex marriage if you choose. That would be a total change from what, what the Word of God says. Or maybe there's that teaching that says you don't really need the church. You can be and operate outside of the local church, online. You can choose which pastors you listen to every week. No attachment, no commitment. Meager rations. 
picking and choosing who you follow, not really bothering about daily devotion and prayer? Well, I just give some examples. Well, let's look at these exhortations here. Five very practical things just to close with this morning. Paul says, if you're going to avoid heresy, we've had the first, be knit together. But here, verse 6, walk in him. What does that mean? Walk. Walking's quite slow, isn't it? You do have in the Olympics those people that seem to seem to be running to me. And their feet go so fast. But normally when we walk, it's a quite leisurely pursuit. Some people walk quite fast. But it's one step after the other. It's progressive. Do you know that's what the Christian life is like and so often? Yes, we occasionally run. But the more common metaphor is to walk gently, steadily, making progress. Walk in him. This speaks of the simple things of the Christian life. Following simple things carefully. And then we will be kept from falling and from danger. Secondly, verse 7, he changes the metaphor. He uses one of plants rooted if you want the christian life to be a fruitful one you need to have deep roots that go right down what into in him in christ that's the foundation for your life you need to be rooted in christ if you have any other foundation says paul you're not one of us Rooted in him, then you'll bear much fruit. A third metaphor, he's mixing his pictures. Walking, rooted, and now a building built up in him. What's the building that we build on? Christ, the cornerstone. You see, it goes right back to the same thing. He's coming at the same thing from lots of directions. In him, in Christ, that's how we'll be built up. How can we be built, built up? Well, by loving his church, loving his people, serving in the church, Christian service. If we are built up in him, we will become a habitation for him. We'll become the place where he wants to reside. A church and a Christian that is built up. In him, he goes on two more things before we close. He says, as ye have been taught. You see, we mustn't deviate from the faith once delivered to the saints. As you have been taught, so you will abound. You will overflow if you follow what you've been taught. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Follow the faith that you have been taught. Do you know there's nothing new in the Christian life, in a sense? There's nothing new in the church. All we're doing is teaching the same old and wonderful and proven and tested things that have already been delivered. We don't need a new thing and a new teaching. And finally in verse 7, 
How are we to be strong? How are we to be kept from error? How are we to avoid heresy? Well, it's a common theme of Paul. Thanksgiving. Do you know that's one of the secret sources of strength in the Christian life? If we're continually thankful, thankful for Christ, thankful for the Lord's people, thankful for his word, thankful for salvation, thankful for all the help along the spiritual journey so far, then we will abound, we will flourish. Is your Christian life flourishing this morning? Or are you floundering? Could it be that thanksgiving has stopped or has become quite limited? We don't appreciate what other people do for us. The people that put the chairs out for us. The people that give us drinks for us. The people that do so much behind the scenes visiting the elderly for us because we'll be like that one day do you abound therein with thanksgiving appreciating noticing caring praying for those who do so much this is god's pattern delivered for by paul for how this little church at colossi probably fewer members than we have here how will they be kept from error they're to walk in him be rooted in him be built up in him they're to hold on to the faith that's been taught by him and they're to abound in thanksgiving for him and for his church well may we follow these exhortations and commands this morning they're all in christ it's his church our faith is in him and we are to be built up in him let's close this morning singing